I'll do it. Give me the gun. I'll kill him. Because that's what they do. I'm sorry. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 220, entitled Two for the Road. This is the 44th overall episode, and there are 77 to go. First, though, a quick bit of feedback from Phil, who sent me a very nice email, and Phil said as follows, I really enjoy your podcast. I just stumbled upon it recently and missed the show so much. I'm really liking this podcast. Nice to rewatch the episode on mute and listen to your comments. Sounds kind of crazy, but fun. Thanks, Phil. So thank you very much, Phil, for taking the time to send in that email. Uh, certainly while these episodes aren't, uh, you know, while the podcast episodes aren't created as commentary tracks, uh, they are, as I'm sure listeners know, they are done in, uh, in uh, chronological order of the episode, which is to say, as the episode is, is presented, that's how we're talking about it. So uh, I certainly uh, hadn't ever thought that you could, uh, you, know, you could watch an episode while listening, but I suppose that certainly works. Uh, so, thank you very much, Phil, for sending me an email, and uh, obviously any other feedback uh, is always appreciated. So with that, let's now get into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. Flashbacks begin directly after Anna Lucia shot Jason in collision. Upon arriving at the police station the following day, Anna Lucia's mother, Teresa, is suspicious of her daughter and questions her, causing Anna Lucia to quit the police department. While working at an airport, she meets Christian Shepard, who hires her as a bodyguard for his trip to Australia. One night, Anna Lucia and a drunk Christian go to a home, where Christian demands to see his daughter from a blonde woman. After seeing the argument is getting out of control, Anna intervenes and pulls Christian back into the car. Anna Lucia eventually gets tired of Christian's antics and leaves him at a bar, where they briefly encounter Sawyer when Christian opens his car door. Anna goes to the airport and calls her mother, apologizing and telling her that she wishes to make things right. Teresa says she'll be waiting for Anna Lucia in Los Angeles. On the island, Anna Lucia starts questioning Henry Gale in the hatch, but suddenly he attacks her and is only stopped when John Locke knocks him unconscious. Locke asks Henry why he attacked Anna Lucia, but has never tried to hurt him. Henry says that Locke is one of the good ones. Elsewhere, although Libby advises Anna Lucia to not try to get revenge on Henry, Anna Lucia is determined and asks Sawyer for a gun, but is rejected. Anna Lucia returns, and after Sawyer still refuses to give her a gun, she has sex with him and is able to distract him long enough to steal the gun. Elsewhere, Jack and Kate return with Michael. Michael wakes up in the hatch and tells everyone that he tracked the others down and found out they are living worse off than the survivors. He also says that once he is healthy, he will organize a rescue mission to reclaim his son, Walt. After Locke and Jack begin to plan a rescue mission for Walt, they realize they need more guns and go to Sawyer, who then realizes that Anna Lucia has stolen his. Meanwhile, Hurley has planned a romantic picnic with Libby, but he realizes he has forgot to pack a blanket and Libby offers to go back to the hatch to retrieve one. Michael asks Anna Lucia what's going on, and she tells him that although she was about to kill Henry, she was not able to pull the trigger. Michael offers to do it, but after she hands him the gun, he turns around and shoots her. Libby walks in with the blankets, and a startled Michael shoots her too. He then walks into the armory where Henry is being held, and shoots himself in the shoulder, letting Henry go. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. As I've mentioned uh, before, uh, I distinctly remember when I watched this episode. I was actually at a ball game the night that it aired, which was May 3rd, is it? 2006? May 3rd. And uh, driving back from the game, uh, I got a phone call from my, uh, my future wife saying that it was a fantastic episode of Lost and that... Uh, Basically, the family needed to assemble right away to watch uh, the episode because uh, to wait would risk getting spoiled, and this was just something that needed to be watched. So even with that in mind, um, 
certainly it's such a such a shocking episode uh, at the ending there and uh well i guess i just kind of had some of those feelings rattling around in my head as i rewatched it uh, for the podcast today uh anyhow the episode opens right where we left off uh from the last one this is an old trick uh that they used to do on alias uh and it worked fantastically on alias where literally you would just uh end in the middle of some sort of tense scene you know the bomb about to go off or or you know a, a gun to someone's head and just boom pick it up right from there um it ends up uh you know michael is uh has basically survived he's alive he gets patched up and uh kate and jack bring him uh you know start that return journey back to the hatch with that we cut to analysia watching a very quiet hatch everything as it should be lock asleep then behind the gun locker and uh with that serene moment, we cut to the Andalusia flashback uh, with uh, police cars that have <gasps> the numbers on them. This is yet another thing that uh, watching the show back in 2006 without a widescreen TV, uh, you had a sense of some of the numbers being visible, but it's only on you know that proper HD widescreen TV where you can see that all the numbers are there and that the show is having a bit of fun with us. Uh, story-wise, though, where we see the return of Mom, the police lieutenant, and uh, she says, or you know, she basically accuses uh, Anna Lucia of being the shooter uh, of Jason, who of course had shot Anna Lucia, something that uh, we saw in the previous Anna Lucia episode, Collision. It's an interesting scene where Mom is really trying to help her daughter, and Anna Lucia is pushing her away to the point that Anna Lucia quits the police force. It's slightly odd. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that it feels forced dramatically. It just feels slightly strange. Um, but certainly it is a sign that Anna Lucia is self-destructive. Um, and, and to that end, it, it, it fits into the, uh, the story as a whole. Um, and of course, there's the added irony, since she will be destroyed in this episode, not by herself, but uh, by someone else. Uh, albeit you know, having played a role, you know, had she been a stronger person, had she not been self-destructive and taken herself to the edge, then there would, then there would not have been the gun in the hatch uh, for her to meet her end. And on that very topic, uh, speaking of being self-destructive... But you're different, Henry. Hmm? Quiet. What was that? If you're gonna say something, you're gonna have to speak up. You killed two of us. Good people, he was leaving you alone. You're the killer. That's the point there where, of course, uh, Locke has saved Anna Lucia from uh, from Ben's attack there. And, uh, I mean, as much as it is a good uh, demonstration of... Uh, Oh, how how difficult Ben can be, of the danger Ben presents, uh, and all that. It really is, I think, kind of wrapped in the shroud of Anna Lucia being self-destructive. I mean, she's it's the height of either poor storytelling or uh, character, you know, character acting as a real person being overly haughty and arrogant that, you know, the perpetrator, the guy you have in prison, is sitting there, you know, what are you saying? Let me lean closer. I mean, to me, that's got to be, you know, police 101. Now, granted, she's not a great cop. We've seen that time and time before. Also, she has not been a cop for these 40 or 50 days. So to whatever degree that the training can uh, can wear off, uh, that's, that's a possibility as well. Uh, also, just now you might say, oh, well, you know, if a a cop takes a couple months off to let a broken leg heal. They're not going to forget these things. True, but you know, here she is living in a world that is so very different than that of normal society, uh, particularly 
you know those uh, those first chunk of days. Um, to me, it's it's not poor writing. To me, it's in line with the character. It's somebody who's a risk taker, somebody who doesn't always think things through. I mean, my goodness, the whole the whole shooting of Jason. I mean, a confessed cop shooter who she you know, had she ID'd him in that episode collision. I have no doubt he's going to jail for the rest of his life, period. Um, the fact that you get to then shoot him yourself, I mean, what does that, you know, I mean, I guess there's a certain kind of visceral revenge there, but, you know, either way he's done with, you're supposed to be a cop, you're supposed to live uh, by a higher standard, but uh, as we see, Anna Lucia does not. Um, at any rate, though, it's uh, certainly is a heck of a way to get the, to get the episode started, and uh, despite all the Andalusia shading to it, I think it's also a reminder that you never turn your back on Ben. He's kind of like the shark from Jaws, but with a backstory and with a with a larger brain. Uh, with that, the flashback uh, continues now with Andalusia working airport security. Obviously, a bit of a bit of a status change. Uh, after her shift, we see her walk into an airport bar, and I think every single viewer on first viewing knows what's going to happen next. She's going to sit down with Jack next to her. Of course, we are wrong in uh, in a move that is ironic. Instead, it is Christian who's sitting next to her, or rather two seats down. Um, and his dialogue places us right after his firing. Uh, and indeed, we can also infer that it's uh, he's getting ready for his first trip to Australia, uh, which uh, which is the case. I love how direct Christian is. He just invites uh, Anna Lucia to Sydney. He reminds her that she needs help, that she clearly is down and out. Um, it's the type of dialogue that would be James Bond savvy, if not for the kind of sheen of sleaze that Christian carries with him so often. Um, but it's, it, it's all you know within the character. He's direct because he does not care. Somebody with a particular skill set, uh, you know, He's looking for a bodyguard. Here we have a security person, former cop. Uh, it suits him. It suits his needs. Uh, perhaps he has other designs in mind. Who knows? Um, but at any rate, it's just uh, he, he can say these things because he doesn't care. Um, he also just starts to hint at why he's going down to Sydney. Something dangerous that would require a bodyguard. It's also a reminder, too, that we don't know why he went down there. I think the assumption had been, well, he went down to Sydney to drink himself to death. Why such a far trip, though? Probably many of us just said, well, you know, he hopped on a plane in L.A. He took it to, uh, you know, some faraway place to just get lost, get drunk, drank himself to death. Um, I don't think that it was something that we particularly questioned, especially given that you know, the plane needs to take off of one spot. It needs to be over the South Pacific. Uh, you have this variety of characters. You know, there's only so many reasons you can stick them all in Australia. So I think, you know, we just assumed, well, he went there and the sun followed, and that's why the sun is on the plane and our hero. But, uh, you know, it's nice here that they're kind of delving into an actual uh, an actual reason. While still at the airport bar, of course, they pick secret names for each other. Anna Lucia calls him Tom, and he calls her Sarah. Sarah as in Jack's wife. Ah, uh, Christian, you lecherous old git you. Um, at any rate, back on the beach, Anna Lucia and Libby share dialogue, which I cannot remember the last time that they did that, as a side note. It uh, certainly was a long stretch. Um, it's fitting, of course, given uh, how the episode ends as well. Uh, with that, we move back to the hatch, and there's a fantastic shot uh, looking up at the ceiling. Locke is inspecting those uh, blast doors, which are, uh, which are of course, pulled up. He ends up asking Ben a series of whys. Why attack Anna Lucia? Why not attack Locke when he was trapped under the blast door? And not surprisingly, Ben, of course, has an answer. Now that's a broad question. Why'd you try to hurt Anna Lucia, but not me? I'm not sure I know what you're getting at, John. I was trapped under that blast door. Helpless. You could have crushed my skull, but you didn't do a thing. 
Why didn't you? Because you're one of the good ones, John. What? What good what? None of this matters. I'm dead anyway. Doctor's gone to make a trade. And we both know he'll come back empty-handed. And then I've lost my value. So either Jack comes back here and kills me or my people find out where I'm being held and they do it. Why would your own people want to kill you? Because the man in charge... He's a great man, John. A brilliant man. But he is not a forgiving man. He'll kill me because I failed, John. I failed my mission. What mission? When that woman caught me in her trap, I was on my way here, John. I was coming for you. There's just so much there in that clip. Uh, can you see how how it is that Ben is working? He starts with the, the hard talk, the tough daddy stuff of, it's okay you hit me. I'm glad that my strong head didn't break your weak crutch because I can take it. Uh, then he pours on the sympathy. He's going to die, Ben says, about himself. Either Jack's going to kill him or his people will kill him because he didn't get that one special guy. The guy who always overlooked, who, who actually is so important. Why, it's Locke. Uh, and then, of course, notice how Ben is tooting his own horn, talking about their great and powerful leader who's who's oh so wise but oh so powerful and whose revenge everyone uh, is fearful of. Here he clearly is talking about himself. Uh, reference has been made before to their leader, the guy in charge. He's a great and powerful man. Uh, and in that earlier episode, it could be construed as uh as being jacob uh here though there's no question that that ben is talking about himself no no question at all and uh it's just such a fabulous clip i love these ben clips as i've mentioned before there'll be times that he has you know as part of his delivery there are strange pauses and cadences to his uh voice and oftentimes with other performances on lost I'll kind of cut out the pauses in dialogue because the pauses will be acting moments or you know or or uh, shot choices uh, that aren't conducive to the uh, the audio medium. But um, we, here I just I just let just let old Ben do his own thing. Um, also, I, I mean it's worth mentioning Ben has identified Locke as malleable. He's hitting him up with that tough love, then sweet love. Um, and indeed, even the way it ends, we're here, I'm, I'm here to see you, to try and get you to join us, buddy. That's a lie, too. He's there to see Jack, to get his tumor looked at. And Locke is, once again, useless. And it occurred to me while doing uh, this, this episode, while watching it, that there's an argument to be made, which, if I made reference to this argument, it would have been during season one. But there's an argument to be made that at the end of the day... Locke is a fairly useless person, even on the island. Uh, now, that's not to say that he isn't beloved. He is. That's not to say that he isn't charismatic and a wonderful addition, etc., etc. But let's follow the through line of what Locke uh, contributes to everyone. He, uh, you know, I'm fine. There's the, the boar business initially, but then he gives up on that to deal with the hatch. Now, the hatch, certainly the discovery of it and the time spent in it in season two is wonderful drama. And again, I want to be kind of clearly delineating what the value that Locke adds as a person to these people on the island versus what the character adds to us in the drama. Um, because uh, it, the two are totally different arguments. Here I'm being critical of Locke the person, not Locke the character. So, fine, he stops hunting in order to dig out this hatch which ultimately, what's the benefit of the hatch to these people? Some food, although would they have wandered across that next food drop soon enough? Yeah. Um, is there enough food to keep people going? Apparently, you know, between uh, oysters and fish and mangoes and coconuts. Um, 
finding out that it was the hatch and the guy in the hatch that that brought the plane down. Eh, is that really useful to their day in day out life there? Um, now, I suppose long term releasing uh, Desmond from the hatch that then you know places him on the board, so to speak, that uh, you know allows for. Uh, the stuff, you know, towards the end of the series and, and whatnot. So I'll grant you that there, that that's all, you know, kind of the the avalanche that Locke got started with his snowball. But point being, you know, Locke is is wrong about many things, um, largely wrong about the fate of the button. Um, and uh, let's also not forget that at a certain point in the show, uh, you know, Locke is, Locke is so desperate to get, uh, to get, the, the Oceanic Six um, back to the island that uh, he almost kills himself. He is killed by by Ben. And then from that point forward, we do not see Locke ever again until the, the flash sideways. Anyhow, bit of a bit of a tangent there. Uh, as I was talking kind of mid tangent, I'm like, boy, how am I going to bring this back to this episode? But anyhow, point being. Use the notion of useless lock keeps coming back, coming back, coming back. At the end of the day, is he the magic piece missing? You know, is he the Jack who who finally slays the the monster? Is he the the Hurley, the beloved Hurley, who uh, you know rules the island in peace and and tranquility? He's kind of none of these things. But anyhow, back to this episode. Kate and Jack return with Michael to the hatch. Uh, Locke is, uh, at this point dumbstruck because aside from my tangent, he's been talking to Ben from the open door. There's actually a fun camera choice where Locke has the door open and he's kind of having this, you know, Ben has just told him you're special. I was coming for you. And Locke is dumbstruck. And because Kate and Jack are so focused on dragging the, the, um, I was going to say lifeless, but dragging the unconscious body of Michael, they move, um, behind Locke, kind of perpendicular to the doorway, and they just go zooming by to get Michael in the bunk bed, to get him hydrated and medicine and this sort of thing. They don't notice that Locke has just had this revelation with the door open as he talks to the uh, the other that no one should be talking to by themselves type thing. Anyhow, with that, we end the act. He closes the door into darkness and into the act break. After the commercial break, Sawyer's picking mangoes. And uh, I would argue that the mango metaphor here returns. Uh, Anna Lucia is looking at his fruit stash, literally. And he says, get your hands off my mangoes. With that, he is standing, she is kneeling, and she is absolutely positively looking at his crotch for a moment. Mangoes, indeed. Anyhow, Anna Lucia is there to ask for a gun, and he tells her to scram and get downtrodden. She reflects and takes us to another flashback uh she of course is seen sleeping alone in sydney Uh, i say of course but i think it's um would we have been entirely surprised to see christian asleep in that bed perhaps not they do make reference to how they've been in sydney for four days did they didn't they uh i guess you could argue either way um on the one hand my gut says no on the other hand i think they're both kind of so Oh, at the end of their rope that, you know, after downing a couple of uh, bottles of tequila each, you know, the things happen, perhaps so. At any rate, she wakes up, she looks out the window and establishes, yep, they are indeed in Sydney. Uh, Christian bangs on the door and uh, we find out that he's been boozing it for four days, but that now is the time for her to protect him so that he can do his secret thing and complete his secret mission to Sydney. It's obviously a, a complete mystery uh, what the real mystery is in this episode, uh, at least upon first viewing. We see very little. Uh, the camera is in the car with Anna Lucia. Dialogue is covered by music and rain. Uh, we see a blonde woman, Australian, who... Uh, see, there you go. Christian apparently has a daughter with. Um, I think at this point we're all thinking about Claire. Who could it be? Conversation with the lady. You need help. 
Now, I think at this point on first viewing, of course, we were all thinking about Claire, blonde Australian woman, uh, certainly is old enough to be this woman's daughter that we see. Who else could it be? It's not a huge mystery once that gets paid off. Uh, but there is kind of a, you know, a sobering totality to it. Uh, Jack and Claire being unknowingly related. Uh, you know, it's a rather sad fact. Um, kind of, you know, two ships passing and, and, and all of that uh, due to Christian's indiscretion. Um, you know, there's a, there's a sad seed planted here. Um, and of course, too, I think it doesn't hurt. And, you know, I mean this kind of, this next bit kind of sincerely, um, you know, the fact that there's a, a Star Wars connection to it, you know, brother and sister who, who, who don't know of each other. Um, on the one hand, it's kind of a cute thing, you know, oh, look, Lindelof did a Star Wars joke, ha ha. But, um, you know, there, I, I think there's also a, a, a respectful, uh, respectful tinge to it uh, as well. Uh, with that, the story cuts to Hurley and Saeed, uh, it's a fairly typical enough scene, Hurley saying amusing things while Sirius Saeed dismisses him. There's also the explanation of the boombox scene from Say Anything. Saeed suggests that Hurley take Libby on a date to a beautiful beach three kilometers down the shoreline. I guess that's as opposed to the beautiful beach that they're on. Um, and it ends, uh, you know, the scene ends with a, uh, a well-acted moment of sadness Saeed uh, revealing that it's the beach he took Shannon to once, one time. Here's uh, a little tip for everyone out there. Don't take your dates to that beach. They get shot. That's that's my take on that beach. You even try and head there, and uh, your lady friend gets shot. With that, we head back to the hatch. Michael is not, you know, still out, kind of, you know, knocked out. Jack is all pissy that the deal idea didn't work, that his plan to trade Ben from Michael and Walt, you know, completely failed. Uh, he's kind of typically overly grumpy to Locke, who's asking reasonable questions. Uh, with that, we go kind of to the the inland of the island. Um, it's, uh, well, it's Sawyer putting those mangoes to work, you might say. Uh, Anna Lucia can't get the gun through force. She tries to take a swing. So they go instead for a roll in the hay, or a roll in the vines, perhaps. It's a, it's a visceral scene. It's steamy, uh, despite being fairly appropriate for network TV. It's also quite short. I, I think perhaps too short for uh, those of us, such as myself, uh, who are Anna Lucia fans, particularly at the prospect of seeing her uh, in flagrante delicto. And uh, for you Sawyer fans out there, you know who you are. Uh, I think it's probably the same situation where you're glad for there to be a, uh, I was going to say a bedroom scene, everything but the, a bedroom scene without the bedroom. Um, but uh, alas, it's too short. It's uh, on, you know, on primetime network TV. So, oh well, still we can, we can dream and think of the yumminess. With that, we move back to flashback and uh, Christian is both hungover and appears to need more booze. Uh, he still won't explain the mystery daughter. Then he complains that he can't apologize to his estranged son. It's familiar dialogue. We've heard him, you know, complain about this to Sawyer. And in fact, in the chronology of the show, he's going to go into that bar and eventually run into Sawyer in that bar and uh, say the same bit, sing the same tune. Ultimately, though, it is true to the characters. And... Um, you know, it's Christian explaining that uh, both he and Anna Lucia are running away from something. Then uh, it's at that point Anna Lucia says she isn't following him into the bar. And uh, Christian takes the message that their their partnership is now over. Uh, Christian opens his door and, of course, hits Sawyer with his car door. They're, they're headed towards their own, uh, their own scene together from another episode. And uh, with that, after not meeting Sawyer and Sydney, we return back to the island post-coitus with Anna Lucia dressing quickly and leaving. Uh, I think at this point, we, the audience, are ahead of things. She's screwed and ran in order to get the gun. Uh, with that, we go to the beach, where I think, as the audience, we are still feeling ahead of things. Hurley's filling up a bag with food, ostensibly for his date. Uh, Libby catches him, and uh, we know that it's for that date. 
she's kind of, you know, playing the, uh, you know, the, the, the food addiction card. Um, she certainly is not uh, chastising him, but, you know, there is kind of, uh, you know, she's she's concerned for him. She And um, at any rate, it's a heartfelt scene. It's a lot of Hurley stammering and Libby glowing, truly glowing at the prospect of a date and love. And it actually was at this point where I started to to really feel sad knowing what was going to be happening uh, in about 20 minutes uh, pat, you know, later in the episode. And uh, then at that point, we return to the hatch and we get the return of Michael and dialogue from Michael. Jack? Man, what? How did I get... Oh, wait, just try to take it easy, okay? You're back in the hatch. We found you out in the jungle last night. Oh, my head. Welcome back. Hey, John. Yeah. I found them. After I left, I hiked north, back to where we were. Hiked to the beach, followed the shoreline. A day later, I saw one. What did it look like? Dirty. Worn clothing, no shoes, simple. Just like the rest of them. Like the rest of them? Yeah. His people. The others. I followed him back to his camp. They, they live in tents. Canvas tents and, and teepees. They eat dried fish. They're worse off than we are. How many of them were there? I counted 22. And uh, the boat? I didn't see it. Did you see Walt? No. But I know he's there. What about everyone else they took? Cindy? Did you see any other kids? No, no, no kids. No, but I think they're in the same place as my boy. They have a hatch. How do you know that they... There's a set of metal doors leading underground. What else could it be? And you think that that's where they're keeping the kids? They keep it guarded 24-7. Two guards, two guns, and two guns is all I saw. They're barely armed. Most of them are old and half of them are women. I wanted... I couldn't save them. So I came back to tell you. Tell you that we can take them. It's nice to have Michael back. And uh, clearly it's a feeling that uh, that won't last long, I think, for most, uh, for most viewers and listeners. Uh, I'll mention, too, that as Michael is explaining that the others are all dirty and simple people living on dried fish and living in huts and teepees, things don't add up there. Kate has a reaction shot as he explains all of this, and I think it's her, I mean, you know, maybe she's not putting two and two together, maybe she's so caught up in the moment that she's not reflecting, but let's not forget that she knows better. She has seen the glue and the uh, theatrical uh, accoutrements in the staff hatch. Um, Now, I suppose on the flip side, she might have just... um, there could just be other ways to explain that. The people that used to be in the hatch could have left it there, and you actually did talk to, you know, bearded people. Uh, so I suppose you can rationalize around it. But um, we certainly know better, having seen Mr. Friendly and Ethan talking in the staff hatch. Uh, you know, clean, cut, well put together, and so forth. Um, this is the third time in the episode that we, as the audience, might be ahead of things. Um, and it's also a point where it takes a mem- you know takes memory of the show to be ahead of things. Um, and if you if you are sitting there upon first viewing, turning to the person next to you and saying, "Well, wait a minute, what about the theatrical glue? What about this? What about that? If they're so bad off, you know, why? What? Where did Ethan's clothes come from? Where did Goodwin's clothes come from? Where they looked so uh, normal, like normal survivors?" 
Uh, you put all this together, and it's the first clue that something is going to go very, very wrong in this episode. After the act break, uh, Jack tells Locke that he was wrong, which is to say that Jack says Jack was wrong about something, something important. This is a monumental moment for Jack to recognize that he actually is fallible. Jack confesses that it was wrong to stop torturing Henry. Uh, and with that, a plan is set in motion. Jack, Kate, who's barely in this episode, and Locke leave the hatch to go get guns from Sawyer. And Lucia underplays her reaction. Uh, on first viewing, I think we theorize that she has a plan, we theorize that she has a gun, and we know from her flashbacks that she can take the law into her own hands, especially with a gun. Um, uh, perhaps this is a fourth instance where we're slightly ahead of things. Um, and I don't mean that any of this stuff of us being ahead, I, I don't mean to suggest that it's poor uh, crafting of the episode. If anything, if some of this stuff is intentional for us to have a little bit of a feeling ahead of time, uh, it's only lulling us into a false sense of security when it devastates us at the end with one of the most shocking endings uh, of an episode, perhaps the most shocking. Uh, at any rate, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, elsewhere, Hurley is belovedly lost, literally lost. He's unable to find that secret beach. Uh, he pops out, thinking he's found it, and they're merely back on the castaway beach, punctuated by Libby saying, It's our beach. Look, there's Jin. And we cut to Jin just dutifully cleaning fish. Though having forgotten blankets and uh, drinks for this adult picnic, Libby then splits to get uh, some blankets one tick closer to her fated end, I might add. Uh, Hurley leaves uh, to go find wine from Rosen Bernard, but not before Daniel Day Kim gives perhaps the best performance in this episode. A huge grin at Hurley and a attaboy thumbs up to Hurley. I think uh, old Jin knows what's... Uh, well, if they made it to that, uh, to that picnic, I think Jin knows what would have been on the dessert cart. Anyhow, elsewhere on the beach... Sawyer is reading the manuscript for Bad Twin, the stupid tie-in book that uh, the powers that be outside the show, uh, or perhaps within the show, uh, made as an attempt to uh, cash in on merchandising money from all of us and our love of the show. Uh, Sawyer's reading is interrupted by a stern and grumpy Jack who says, put down the book, mean old Jack. To be fair, though, Jack burns the ending of the book, which may be kind of an implicit reminder of just how crappy the book is. Um, at this point, we're about 10 minutes away from the end. Uh, the tension really is starting to rise. Jack pulls a gun on Sawyer to threaten him. Sawyer reaches for his gun, and it's not there. Ah, oh, bitch. She stole my damn gun. Anna Lucia. Why would she need a gun? Locke starts to figure it out as uh, the scene is intercut with Anna Lucia prepping her gun and going into the gun locker. I need to tell you something. Anna Lucia throws Ben a knife. And isn't that the knife that she and Goodwin once discussed? Pick it up. You know, as I'm recording the podcast here, I, I find myself really gravitating towards this idea of the episode um, encouraging the audience to be ahead of the narrative time and time again, if only to lead to this shocking ending, and a shocking ending that starts when we find out that Anna Lucia has not shot Ben. Um, we can, as she says, pick it up. You can only assume, well, she has the gun. She's kind of going to stage some sort of, you know, excuse to shoot him. Like, look, he cut himself out, and. Maybe her cop skills are returning a bit, so, you know, he's the only one who will have held the knife, or I, I guess she held it too, but, you know, it, my point being, you know, it'll be in his hand when he gets shot, or it'll be by him, or if one, anyone will care to dust for fingerprints or anything like that, not that they would in reality, but I think it's kind of consistent with how she's trying to set things up, and um, it's just, it, there's just fantastic tension in the scene, uh, ben reaches for for that knife, and we get more of uh, Ben's kind of called to Christ routine. This time, though, with a bit of a darker take. Goodwin, 
Yes, he told us all about you, Anna. How he thought you were worthy and that he could change you. But he was wrong. And it cost him his life. He was going to kill me. With that, uh, Ben is uh, given an opportunity to uh, cut himself out of his binds, and uh, and Lucia pulls the gun on him. So, of course, the logical time to... So this is it, huh? Yes, Henry. This is it. End the act. You can always count on Lost to... uh, to end, to end acts at good moments of tension. Um, after the act break, uh, it's Jack's flashback of trying to get his dad's coffin on the plane. Uh, new Anna Lucia footage is smartly intercut with that old Jack footage, uh, which I believe is some white rabbit, uh, as well as other footage that was shot separately of Jin uh, from House of the Rising Sun. So just this great moment of placing Anna Lucia in line where we never uh, where we never saw her before. Uh, Anna Lucia steps away and uh, phones mom to confess her mistake, uh, to confess that she ran away from this mistake. Uh, we see a relieved-looking mom on the other end. Uh, and, you know, I wonder if mom had the LAPD waiting for Flight 815 to, to put her daughter into custody, or if mom was ready to sweep it all under the rug. Um... I'm not sure. I would have said after the first uh, flashback episode of Anna Lucia's collision, I would have said mom would have, you know, stuck to the law. But you know, reference is made at the beginning of this episode to, uh, you know, we both know there's going to be <clears throat> an internal investigation that nobody's going to find anything about. So maybe mom's willing to play ball. Um with that, the flashback ends, and we're in the hatch, rather incongruously. Um, and Lucy is playing with the gun. She's kind of just sitting on a couch. Uh, Michael's tottering around, too weak to do anything, right? And there's this question, what happened to Ben, right? That's where we, that's where we left uh, the last act, that moment of tension. that We don't know what's happened. And Lucy explains that she uh, can't use the gun. She didn't shoot Ben. And it's kind of at that moment where she's confessing that she has grown as a person. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even kill him. I looked at him, and he... Now, it has been said that on Lost, as, uh, once you really grow as a person and really, uh, you know, accept your own frailty and figure out a way to move beyond it, uh, and if that changes for good, that's usually at the point where Lost uh, kills you off. Uh, perhaps this is a theory that uh, originates from this episode. Um Certainly the only major deaths that we've had so far are, are Boone and Shannon. Uh, you know, Boone, who was killed for dramatic effect. I mean, all the deaths are dramatic, of course, but Boone, who kind of was killed because they hadn't killed anyone before. I think that's kind of the extent of it, uh, dramatically. It'll, you know, the, it, it blew us away so deeply. Uh, same thing with the Shannon death. Um but I think even in her case, right, she had kind of settled down as a responsible uh, person uh, who had um, balanced out these kind of desires which had been opposing of wanting to be self-sufficient and wanting to be wanted by someone. You know, in the past with Shannon, she had mixed that up and it was just men taking care of her, uh, whereas now she you know, had, had found a partner and could exist without him. Um, but, uh, boy, Anna Lucia accepting her own limitations, getting rid of those demons of just kind of shooting indiscriminately, Libby kind of accepting, uh, 
oh, I don't know, accepting stability and love, that's that's not good for either of them. Because Michael then asks for the gun that Anna Lucia has, offering to do the job himself, to, to kill Ben himself. And of course, he speaks of his son. This is a reminder of why he does all that he does and all that he will do. They're animals. I've seen these people, and they are animals. They took my son right out of my hands. They took my son and... I'll do it. Give me the gun. I'll kill him. Because that's what they do. He plays it so convincingly, uh, and there's not the, the least hint that he's getting the gun and now... What's the combination? Wants to get the combination so he can do the deed and then finish the job, which is to, uh, to let her out. 18 right. One left. 31 right. Here she kind of has such pain on her face, I think because... She knows Ben's going to be shot, or at least you know, that's that's what we all would would think at that point. And she's put the gun in his hand, and she's opened the locked door, essentially. I'm sorry. For what? And then, this moment. Stunning. Stunning. Just... I felt glued to my seat. Literally, I felt weighted down and like I couldn't move, even though I knew it was it was uh, going to happen. And I think just as the totality of this sinks in, you know, then they go for our heart. Michael? And, I mean, what do you say? What do you say? It's just... Such a powerful, powerful ending. Um, it, it uh, and of course, even at that point, it's not even over. Michael, of course, uh, silently walks into uh, into the gun locker, inputs that combination. It's this wonderful moment of uh, Ben in shadow, then Ben standing. Looking at him, Ben absolutely is quizzical. He he might have an idea of what's going on. He might not. Uh, and then Michael, rather mournful, just you know, lifts that gun up. And with that uh, gunshot, we cut to black. They there's the slight echo to the uh, to the gun, and it is to the absolute credit of the show that they hold. The black of that that fade to black for just a moment. It, um, it we need it. Quite frankly, we need it for them to to have done. You know, some quick cut to the 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 end title card, the word lost, and to have some sort of you know whoosh or you know sound effect would have taken us out of the episode. We needed that long fade to black. Then fine, it says lost to title to, to to show us that that the episode has ended. But they just hold the black, hold the silence, take a moment to start the credits. I mean, it it it's just such an astonishing end, it's just absolutely astonishing. Um, the restraint that they show, as I say, not even any music. Surely, Jacino would have done some some cue there that would have been a amazing but you don't need you don't need any of that we just need to be left stunned and confused and hurt and broken not understanding at all what is going on i think that that you know the ending of two for the road takes us to a point of not knowing that we haven't had since the early episodes of the show right Back when we didn't know these people, we didn't know their motivations, we didn't know the situation on the island. We're back there now. Why in the world has Michael done this? What happened in those eight episodes that he was gone? You know, we can 
we can put two and two together enough to know that we're going to learn that story at some point. There's already been one on-island flashback with Claire. Um, we can't even predict what's going to happen next. Uh, insofar that you could figure out, since Michael shoots himself, he, he's in league with the others somehow, and Ben will escape somehow. Uh, but it's just, what an ending. What an absolute ending, and done with such respect and restraint. They're not making a TV show in the last couple of minutes there. They are saying goodbye to characters. They're saying goodbye to Anna Lucia and Libby as living characters. Now, I know uh, uh, Libby, you know, properly expires in the next episode, but, you know, we're, we're saying goodbye to them here. We're saying goodbye to the Michael who we had some faith in, the Michael who we saw some good in. I think at this point we sit and have the discussion, you, you know, is your kid worth it? If you know, if we were there around the campfire, certainly you can sympathize with Michael, and we will sympathize with Michael. And Michael's goal, as stated back in season one, to get him and his son off the island is something that reaches fruition. But at what price? And at at this price, it's 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 one of the greats. This episode, one of the greats. And uh, with that. Let's take a look at Lostpedia for some bits and pieces about Two for the Road, which it explains uh, the title refers to Anna Lucia and Christian going to Australia, as well as both Anna Lucia and Libby getting killed, uh, which I think is a fair point. The, the the shocking ending of it makes us think of Two for the Road saying goodbye to these two characters, but it is also uh, referred to in the flashback. Uh, Lostpedia also says... This episode features the only three-way past character connection in a scene on Lost. And Lucia and Christian are sitting in the car, and they open the door, and he hits Sawyer. Um, I think the point being, it's not something which is... First of all, I don't know that that's true. It sounds good enough. Fine, let's go with it. But I think the point is, it's the first original scene where three characters have crossed on their own separate paths there. We've seen Christian on this kind of path before. And we kind of know the Christian story. We're learning the Anna Lucia story. We know the Sawyer story. I'm assuming that they're differentiating it from something where new footage is shot and then shot and then shot, like the airport scene where we saw Jack and White Rabbit. Then they went back and did footage of Jin in line for House of the Rising Sun. Then they've done footage of Anna Lucia. That's constructed. This is one actual scene with three stories that, that crisscross. Um, they also mention for the scene in front of the last call bar, the crew could not get uh, could not get all the steering wheels on the right side of vehicles as would be appropriate for Australia. So the film was reversed left to right in editing. To achieve this effect, the art department reversed many elements of the shots, including the letters of the signs, shirt pockets, and rings. However, a mole can be seen on the wrong side of Michelle Rodriguez's face. Your standard old, that's a old-fashioned trick there. They did that in uh, the, the opening scene in Titanic, uh, which is, say, the first scene in Titanic where you see the boat uh, at dock. Uh, just an oldie but a goodie. Uh, Lostpedia also says this episode marks the first appearance of Gabrielle Fitzpatrick, who plays the elder Ms. Littleton, Lindsay Littleton. Lindsay and Christian's link to Claire would not be established until Par Avignon. Uh, also, they say in the original broadcast version, Anna Lucia's mother referred to Jason McCormick as Jason Elder. This was fixed on the season two DVDs. Also mentioned in the uh, closed captioning, it still is, it's Jason Alder with an A. But I was going to say whatever, but I don't want to be dismissive to our hearing impaired fans of the show. Although, you probably aren't listening to this if you're hearing impaired. But at any rate, if you are, welcome aboard. Uh, one more bit of trivia here, which actually is from uh, Wikipedia. Uh, I saw it when I was getting the Wikipedia episode summary. Uh, it's a bit of a uh, a bit of a paragraph here, but I will read it to you nonetheless. The deaths of Anna Lucia and Libby caused speculation that they were killed off due to the DUIs that actresses Michelle Rodriguez and Cynthia Watros received within 15 minutes of each other on December 1st, uh, 2005. Watros pleaded guilty and was fined $370 and had her license suspended for 90 days. Rodriguez initially pleaded innocent, but in April pleaded guilty, 
and then was sentenced to five days in Oahu Correctional Facility, but ended up serving only 65 hours due to jail overcrowding. Side note, not mentioned in the Wikipedia article, I believe the difference was that Michelle Rodriguez had a prior conviction of something, perhaps it was DUI, whatever it was, it was you know, happened in L.A. previous to her time on the show, but, you know, it uh, factored into her spending time in jail. I certainly would not want to spend 65 hours in jail. Uh, in February 2006, uh, U.S. Weekly, or is that Us Weekly? I never know how to pronounce it. Anyhow, claimed that uh, an insider told them that the producers were frustrated with Rodriguez's behavior and they were going to kill the character off. Soon after, Two for the Road aired, and uh, Lindelof and Cuse told TV Guide that when talking to Rodriguez about the part of Ana Lucia, she said that she would be interested, but only for a year. After sitting down with her, the two were impressed with her energy and decided to adjust their plans to make the character last only one season. Since audiences had a negative reaction to Ana Lucia, news to me, I always enjoyed her, but the producers thought her death would not generate enough sympathy from fans. So they decided that Libby, who was well-liked, should also be killed for emotional impact. Lindelof recalled that after they found out that both Rodriguez and Watros got DUIs, he was concerned that it would look like killing Anna and Libby was the producer's attempt to say, don't drive drunk, and even considered rewriting the script so it wouldn't seem that way. But the producers decided to keep it like it was. Lindelof also denied rumors that Rodriguez was killed off because she was hard to deal with, saying that Michelle was totally professional and got along well with all the other actors. According to Lindelof and Cuse, Watros was very sad about Libby being killed off, and the producers felt bad for her, so they helped her get in a pilot for a show on CBS called My Ex-Life, although it was not picked up by the network. So, certainly some interesting background there. I had not known all of that, or, or if I had read it before, it wasn't clear in the forefront of my mind. Um, I certainly added this episode in the line of, you know, you get a DUI, you're kicked off lost, for better or for worse. Um so it's nice. Certainly, I, I, I guess we'll accept that at, at face value, right? Um, but what an episode. What an episode. And, you know, I think it makes it all the more uh, valuable and appreciated that uh, they do, you know, that, that, they, that they do come back. That Anna Lucia plays a small but critical role in the uh, last couple episodes of the series. That Libby plays uh, a less small uh and even more critical role in the last couple episodes of the series um fitting that libby is in the church scene i think it's it would be difficult to to put uh anna lucia there um but uh quite a quite an ending quite an ending to this episode and uh with that let's look ahead to next week episode 221 entitled question mark That'll be a fun one. I remember uh, being convinced that, uh, well, there was no no question mark scene from on top of the cliff, and apparently um, I'm wrong about that, so I look forward to recovering that ground. Uh, a reminder that new episodes of Looking Back at Lost launch the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. You also can check out a few other of my uh, projects. There's the PHGeek podcast at phgeek.podbean.com, as well as on iTunes. And uh, we've also got underway the Alcatraz podcast by phgeek.com. Uh, you can find it at alcatraz.podbean.com as we look ahead towards that show, which will be starting in a few weeks. Uh, and you can also find that on iTunes by searching for Alcatraz podcast by phgeek.com. If you'd like to share feedback about this podcast, uh, you can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And you can find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So with that, uh, this is the last episode of 2011. Uh, so thank you very much for listening in the first uh, year of the podcast. It actually was... Um, it was uh, we're coming up to the year anniversary of when I decided to start doing this podcast. Uh, I believe I secured the uh, the account on Podbean January second, 
although it then took me a couple more weeks to I don't know, get all my ducks in a row and fully figure out what I was going to do. And then uh, the first episode launched uh, somewhere around February 11th. So coming up to some anniversaries here fast. But uh, thank you for joining me for all these podcasts in 2011. And uh, certainly best uh, wishes for a happy and healthy new year as the holiday season starts to wrap up. Here I am, by the way, speaking to you in proper lost fashion from the past, recording it before the holiday season has properly started, uh, as I try and build up a little cushion against which uh, the holidays can slow me down. So at any rate, thank you one and all for listening. Have a happy and healthy new year. Be safe out there. Uh, don't make the mistake that Michelle Rodriguez and, uh, and uh, uh, Cynthia Watros made by uh, drinking and driving because look what happened to them so be safe happy new year one and all and i will see you all in 2012 on the next exciting episode of looking back at lost take care and bye bye